Hey there, this is Coach AA, and it's time for the October 4th edition. The three things for today on struggling to get back to my routine are 12 weeks on, one week off. The second thing on cravings. And finally, on calorie counting. So, let's get on with it. 12 weeks on, one week off. That's how we structure our training cycle at the quad. Now, this comes from, well, a lot of research, learned coaches doing things this way. It's a well-accepted thing in the strength and conditioning industry to accumulate and intensify and then take some time off to recover. Now, recovery is when the magic happens in a training program. And this is how we design every mesocycle at the quad. And it also does something rather important on the other side for us as a coach and for a student as well. In that, mentally at the end of 12 weeks, it allows you some time to de-stress and to think about something else, to do something else. For some of us, it could be as simple as sleeping in. For some of us, it's a break from lifting weights and say going and running, playing ultimate, whatever it is. So it does a whole lot of good things and that's how the body works as well. The more intensity with which you lift, by that I mean the amount of weight you're lifting, the more rest you need. That's where most traditional three days a week programs uh, come in. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Friday tends to be your heaviest day and so you recuperate over the weekend and come back in on Monday again, stronger. And it works most of the time. So anyway, that's how we do things at the quad and that's how we've done it for forever. In fact, this was one of the key things that Raj and I came up with back in the US when we were coming up with the structure for the quad. Now, last Monday, after coming back from the break, September 28, I think, I decided, you know, Monday onwards, week is uh, on, we're back to work and all that. So Sunday night, I set my alarm for 3.45, as always. Woke up at 3.45 and convinced myself to go back to sleep. It didn't take much convincing. Right, because the previous week I had spent sleeping in. Alarms are off. That wasn't the plan, but it happened. And please remember, I've been doing this from September 2011 for, say, at least 90% of the time. Or, okay, let's just say 80% of the time. And that's a lot more on than off, obviously. 
So it should be easy, right? Then why was it not easy? Anyway, so Monday night, a little annoyed with myself, I go to set my alarm <laughs> and I convinced myself to not set that alarm because I was like, yeah, Wednesday is when the quarter starts one more night. Let's sleep in. So I did. Wednesday morning, what happens, right? So Tuesday night, I set the alarm. Now, I don't have class on Wednesday, okay? So I don't need to wake up at 3.45. But Tuesday night, set the alarm with resolve and woke up Wednesday morning and I was this close to going back to bed. But I dragged my dog for a walk. And 10 minutes later, I was up. Normally at 3.45 a.m. I'm up, my brain's working, and I am raring to go. But September 30th was a bit slow. But once that walk was done, I came back in. There's no way I'm going to go back to sleep. Because by then things had autopilot had kicked in enough. So got into work for the day and simple. Thursday, I have class. I coach at five. So it's relatively straightforward in that there's no chance of me hitting that alarm off. But it was easier on Thursday, even easier on Friday. And this happens nearly every quarter. The first day is always the hardest, the second day easier, and by the third day, I'm back to my groove. The point I'm trying to make, I think, it's hard. It's hard for habits. It's hard to get back to a routine that you have when not doing the routine is a lot easier. And we all have good days and bad days and all that, right? So whether it is eating vegetables, exercising, waking up early, it can get hard, even if you've done it for a long, long, long time. But the fun part is, because I've done it for a really long time, the inertia is not much. It just took me a day or two to get the funk out of my head. So when we are trying to do this for a new habit, let's say you don't exercise at all, going from that point to I'm going to exercise for an hour, six days of the week, is too big a jump or using same example as waking up early, right? Let's say you wake up at 8 a.m. or 8-ish. Going from there to waking up at 5 a.m. is not going to work for multiple reasons. One, you're going to feel like shit when you wake up at 5. You're going to feel so tired. You're not going to be, you know, switched on 
You want to be drinking a gallon of coffee and you know, slapping yourself awake and all that. So 8 to 7.30, 7.30 to 7, over weeks, maybe even over months, is a better choice. Walking five minutes a day is a better choice than exercise for an hour a day. Because it'll add up, the five making it 10, the five making it 30, the five making it an hour. Once you get into the habit of doing five minutes daily, is much, much easier. And it will be hard when you take a brief break. Expect it, it's fine. Doesn't mean anything. You will get back, okay? So think it over and think of a routine which you think you have nailed down but find it hard to go back to and try to apply those same lessons and incorporate the small bits I mentioned for a new habit that you're trying to develop. So that's that. Let's move on to the second thing. On cravings, this ties in with something I've discussed earlier on controlling the controllable. A craving is not something you control. I'm gonna use sugar as an example, not for any particular reason except sugar is my thing. So I decide not to eat sugar for a week. Well, day one, what do you think I'm thinking about? Sugar, even if I had you know, eaten ice cream the previous night, day one, you know, Monday afternoon-ish or maybe Monday evening, all I'm thinking about is sugar. And Monday night after dinner, oh, you, 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 that craving suddenly hits you when you don't expect it. And if I'm not listening to my own rules, which is clean out my pantry, then I'm gonna go find my chocolate and pop it in before my brain even has a chance to compute what's happening. Craving, chocolate, done, belly, happy. And then we're like, hey, we're supposed to be not eating sugar this week. Now let's not get sidetracked into, oh, you should not do deprivation, you should not be without sugar, moderation. Okay, calm down. Besides the point, let's stick to point. So, how do we go about this? Well, the first thing is, the craving or getting that craving is not your fault. It does not mean you are a lesser person. You, you should not be like, my mind should be so zen that I should never get a craving, okay? Well, at least my mind is not that zen. If you are there, then I should be listening to you and you should not be listening to me, okay? So start your podcast, send me your link. I would love to listen to you and learn from you on this. But let's assume we are all normal human beings. Part-time, we get this zen, but not full-time. So cravings will hit you. 
how you respond to that craving now that now that is under your control control the controllable so how do we do that well expect it so before i start this one week of no sugar i want to say hey you are going to get a craving for sugar don't blindly assume just because you've decided now that you're not going to get a craving it's random it'll happen when you least expect it so instead say i'm going to expect it so it's not going to stun you and then when it hits you breathe so just one inhale and exhale inhale exhale and give yourself some space and time hopefully you've cleaned out your fridge and your pantry and all that so the obstacle is a little higher you're going to have to get on your phone or get into your car go to the store and buy that piece of candy and that gives you a lot of leeway to opt out so much time to opt out so much time for your rational brain to kick in and say buddy calm down you don't really need to act on it because you don't need to act on it sometimes i feel our brains out there to you know screw with us i'm going to toss this curveball just to see how you will react so that craving is just there to screw with you and you can say ha i see you i'm not going to act on you in fact i'm going to say no to you it is doable rather than mm, fighting it just it's a game it's a game that the twisted part of you is playing with you and you can say hey not today seriously uh, you don't have these kind of weird conversations with yourself right so have it and you win and you lose you know what i mean so we expect it we breathe and you know what think about that craving it is just a thought that's in your head sometimes it's not really a craving so like hey don't think of a pink elephant and well pink elephant it is in your head so like that it just pops in and it's okay so what you do control is not giving in to that craving and you can totally make it happen don't give it to that craving and you've already done something awesome in the larger scheme of things larger scheme of things by taking that decision of this week i'm not going to eat sugar you've sorted out decision fatigue we take hundreds of decision decisions a day so every time you come across a piece of candy you're saying no in your head and that's why you know around the evening or night you want to pop it in but now that one decision you've taken a master decision that will override things so that's why you know one week of no sugar actually is powerful because by the third or fourth day 
you settle into that routine and you're not even thinking about it. Your, your thinking patterns change. So it is useful to have a master decision so you don't get fatigued by it. And finally, delayed gratification. At the end of one week, I will reward myself. Works, works like a charm. Not today, Sunday night. And then you just push it off and ta-da, it's Sunday night. And of course, reward yourself on Sunday. Why not? You went a week without sugar. So from eating sugar daily, if you want to try it for a week, this is a great way. Try it out. So, one thing at a time, and well, see where it goes. Yeah? And on to <coughs> the final thing for today. On calorie counting, should we calorie count? When do we calorie count? Now, this is a largish and complex topic. And I personally don't prescribe calorie counting. So this might come as a surprise when I'm talking about calorie counting and why you should do it. Because there is a when you should do it. Now here's the thing to understand. Everything is a tool in our toolbox. When we use it, how often we use it, that is key. A calorie is a unit of energy. Okay, let's not get into the, uh, those, those parts of it. Let's say I need 2,000 calories a day. Now, how do I know I need that? Well, there are fancy calculators. Depending on your activity level, your gender, your height, your weight, your age, there's a number. Okay, cool. So find that number for yourself. Now, when it is useful is to find where you are, benchmark things. This is how I usually eat is our usual answer, or this is what I eat on average. Our, our brain lies to us, our recollection mechanism lies to us. So instead, what you can do is calorie count for one week. Writing a detailed food journal is a great idea always. And you're going to look at calorie counting. There are a lot of apps out there. Uh, Chronometer, for example. I think Healthify Me. There's, there's a bunch. Use, use the Google. It'll tell you. So, not for a day, for a week. You do this. It's time consuming. It's annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... If you want to understand how your eating habits are, this is a great, great way to start. So you have it over a week. And the reason is we want to average it out over a week because one day you might eat, let's talk about me. I might eat 3,000 calories. One day I might eat 1,500 calories. Why? Well, maybe I exercise one day and my energy requirements, I'm just feeling hungrier, whatever it is. 
And so I understand over the week what I am actually eating, what the calculator says I should get, and well, that's a good starting point. Now I know what is going on. So it's a tool to use this way. Before we delve further into this tool, let's understand the drawbacks of this tool. One, it's grossly inaccurate, okay? The, the error, parallax error is, is terrible that it's close to being useless. So why am I telling you to do this? To get a ballpark, okay? To understand what you're doing. There is a value in you doing this exercise, in you thinking about your food. Just the journal alone will be ample, okay? But since we're talking about calorie counting, let's take it one step further. Plus calorie counting is the go-to method for a lot of people starting diets. So I just wanna talk about the a right way, not the right way, a right way to use it. So one week ballpark plus calorie counting, hey, for your height weight, this is what you should be eating. Other drawbacks? Well, it's time consuming. And when I say they're inaccurate, okay, let's take an apple. Not all apples are the same size, but uh, according to these apps, the calorie for that apple is the same. How is that even possible? Well, simple, it's not possible because it's inaccurate. And then when it comes to Indian cooking, it gets worse. How much dal or parup you put in into your sambar, how much I put in, how much my mom puts in, well, it changes. Or when you fry that samosa, how much oil does that samosa absorb? Well, who knows? So it is grossly inaccurate. And it's not possible to be uh, extremely accurate about, about these things, okay? And it's also not a good idea to do this long-term. And I think anything over a week is long-term because it can lead you to obsess over this and you don't want to obsess over it, okay? It can also lead to what I call barter thinking. My wearable device says I ran for 400 calories today, so I'm gonna eat 400 calories of junk foods because I earned it. Eat that junk food because you want to. Eat it because you like eating it. But eat your damn vegetables as well. Eat your protein as well. Not 400 equal to 400. One, it's not because both are wildly inaccurate. And two, that thinking will lead you down a bad, bad, bad path. Okay? You just have to go with me on this. And if you're listening to me, you maybe kind of sort of are on the same wavelength and so my advice makes sense, so go with it. So once we've done this, right, one week, food journal, this is what I'm eating, now these apps will tell you what your macronutrient breakdown is, meaning carbs, proteins, and dietary fats. For most of us uh, Indians, the carbs will be on the higher side, the protein and the fats on the slightly lower side. And maybe that's okay, maybe that's not okay. Generally, a 40-30-30 is a reasonable split. But you will find that you're mostly in the 
60-20-20 or 70-15-15 percentages. 70% carbs, 15% fats, 15% protein. But it depends on your goals and what you like eating. Some of us like eating more carbs. Some of us like eating less carbs. Carbs are not bad. Fats are not bad. You need to figure out what works for you. And this is where that calorie counting comes in, right? Like I told you. And then what we do is we move to phase two of the experiment. And let's talk about maintenance. So let's say I'm eating 50, 25, 25. And I want to try to go to 40, 30, 30. Well, it means I need to eat a little lesser, let's call it rice, and a little bit more protein. And I'm now going to approximate things for myself. I'm going to move to, okay, I'm eating three and a half cups of rice or three and a half fists of rice a day over a week or 25 cups of rice over a week. I'm going to make it 20 cups of rice or I said going from 50% to 40%, whatever that means, you know what I mean. And I'm going to eat one more egg a day or half a fist of paneer more a day. And I'm going to stick to eating three cups of vegetables a day. So I've approximated that into a more sustainable system. And I, I, I believe in the fist or cup system. Um, this is what we prescribe at the quad. Uh, PN or precision nutrition. Probably the world leader in um, uh, nutrition coaching. Uh, follows a similar method. Most nutrition coaches who are on this sustainable intuitive eating prescribe a more approximate method like this because it works way better for life. So I'm going to eat two cups of rice a day. I'm going to eat three cups of protein a day. I'm going to eat three cups of vegetables a day. And I've approximated this somehow. Right, using my calories, oh, this is how much I'm eating, I'm gonna tweak it a little, blah, blah, blah. And going from A to B, I've come here. Now, the experiment continues. I'm gonna take weekly measurements, my chest, my waist, my hip, my thigh, and my weight. And I wanna be thereabouts, right? I'm on a maintenance phase. So, one week in or two weeks in, I look at how I'm doing on my eating. Yes, I'm about 80, 90% compliant. Great. Oh, my weight's going up. Oh, maybe something's off. I don't want my weight to go up. Okay, so I reduce something. Oh, my weight's going down. Oh, I need to eat more. More of what? Well, whatever you feel like, but one of these, okay? And you tinker. You go up and down, you tweak things a little and you find your happy balance. And so that's how you know, okay, yeah, this is what I need to be doing. So you can see how something tedious can be boiled down to, oh, okay, you know, approximations. And these approximations will just be seamless the more and more and more you do it. And maybe, you know, once or twice a year, you do that one week of calorie counting to just take stock. Because, you know, things slowly go out of hand and you just want to pull it back in. You just want to tighten things out. So this is how I would recommend we use calorie counting 
to understand where we are, to baseline things, let's, let's say twice a year. And moving from there to what does it mean in terms of cups or fists of what we need to be eating and trying to follow that 80% of the time. So what I do 80, 90% of the time, two cups of carbs, three to four cups of vegetables, three cups of protein, water, sleep, exercise. That's always what it comes down to. And there are a few days when, say, my vegetables are low and a few days when my vegetables are high. A few days when I eat a lot more dosa and chapati and a few days when I eat a lot lesser. But over the course of a week, over the course of a month, they tend to average themselves out and I keep stock by measuring periodically. I don't measure every week. That's just for the initial phase, right? I measure once in two weeks, once a month. I also measure my, what I'm lifting. Not that they should always be moving in the upward direction. They should all make logical sense. If I'm working on fat loss, it's not fat loss and strength. If I'm working on endurance, my strength's not gonna go up. Okay, so one goal at a time and what calorie counting and then moving on to the cup system, the daily nine system, any system that works for you, well, keep stock of it. Oh, things are moving as I expect, I'm doing things mostly right. Things are not moving in the direction I want, okay, I need to tinker something. Or oh, things are way off or it's been six months, one week, calorie count. Hope that el helps, remember? Calorie counting is a tool, a useful tool in your toolbox, but the not the sustainable way to diet or live your life or eat food for the long term. And yeah, I don't, I can't think of a use of it for over a week. Well, maybe first timers can do it for a month or two months or your first diet, whatever, but not not a not a long term tool i think it is better this way as a one week every six months kind of a tool hope that helps and with that we're done with the uh podcast for today i would love it if you can get back to me with some thoughts or feedback you go ahead and have a great Sunday and a great rest of the week and I'll see you here next week thank you bye this is coach AA signing off